Hey there, architecture enthusiast. Nikita Reed here, inviting you on an incredible journey through time and space with my podcast, Tangible Remnants. Historic preservation and sustainability? Let's go ahead right now and debunk the myth that they are opposites. In fact, they are two sides of the same coin, shaping our collective future. In a work environment, it has been challenging because I've had to probably do more than double just to make sure that I quote unquote fit in. But the environments that have allowed me to do me on the front end, I've been extremely successful. You look at all these PhDs, they've built that on the backs of our elders. Absolutely. They consider themselves to be experts at is what they've worked with us to achieve. I know we have to. We have to prioritize people before products and before place. Join me as we unravel the stories of historic buildings shaped by the people of a specific era and often influenced by race and gender. These tangible remnants are windows into our past and guideposts for the future. Follow the link in the show notes to subscribe now to Tangible Remnants. Let's explore the interconnectedness of architecture, preservation, sustainability, race, and gender. How old was she? 16? She must have been younger than 18. Right. If only math. When was she born? Yeah, let's do this real quick. I'm scrolling up. <laughs> Give me the year. 1947 minus 1962. How much is that? Oh, she was 18. Oh, she was? Yes. Well, there you go. Assalamu alaikum. Welcome to Season 10 of She Builds Podcast, where we share stories about women in the design and construction field, one lady at a time. This season's theme is Living Legends. We are talking about Woo-hoo. ladies. Oh, yeah. Woo! <laughs> <laughs> We're talking about ladies who are alive and over 80 years of age who have contributed to their professions and continue to inspire us to this day. Literally, living legends. Yeah, I am so excited for this season. Listeners, thank you so much for your suggestions. Shout out to Caitlin Brady from the Architecte podcast. We were inspired by your suggestion of showcasing women over 60, so. Yes. Yay. We are pumped to talk about ladies over 80. And we're always excited to take listener suggestions and put them into action. So thank you, Caitlin. It's incredible to be here today on our 91st episode. We could not do this without the support of all of you who continue to listen and learn with us. Thank you so much for your support as we continue to grow the visibility of women in our field. Yes, it's amazing to think that we've done 90 episodes (laughs) already. I think the support of our listeners really propels us to keep going. So thank you all so much. Yes, thank you, listeners. We couldn't still be doing this if it wasn't for you. We're kicking things off this season talking about the amazing Yasmin Lari, the first woman to practice architecture in Pakistan. I'm Nurjiri Rivas, getting ready for a dinner party in Houston, Texas. Hey there, I'm Jessica Rogers, trying on bridesmaids' dresses in Miami, Florida. And I'm Lizzie Rar, getting ready to host Friendsgiving tomorrow in San Francisco. 
As always, we are not experts. We are just sharing stories about the information that we find as friends having a fun conversation. If you find an error, send us an email and we will all continue learning together. Y'all, there is so much good information to be found about Yasmin Lari. Interviews galore. Books, TED Talks, awards, lectures on YouTube. I mean, you imagine it, she's done it. It was really difficult for me to not spend a hundred hours in research and to keep this to one episode that's under 45 minutes. Mm-hmm. Oh, I bet. Yeah. But I guess it was also fun to research through all of that. It was. It really was. But it was also stressful because, you know me, I like to keep my episodes between 20 to 40 <laughs> minutes. And I actually get irrationally upset with myself if I have an episode that's more than 45 minutes. And then I drive John Wiganowski, our producer, crazy, trying to cut enough things out to bring it down. And he has to talk me out of this ledge. Like, it's a whole thing. (laughs) (laughs) Virginia, it's okay if it's a little long sometimes. That just means there's a lot of information on that lady. That's a great problem to have. I guess. It really is. (laughs) And, you know, these are the challenges of a podcaster. (laughs) The diamond. But... (laughs) Well, let's see if I meet my time goal. Let's just Mm. jump into this. The time was January 15, 1941. The place? Dera Ghazi Khan, Pakistan. Yasmin Hassan was born. Her dad was Safarul Hassan, an Indian civil service officer during British rule. So he was an important guy. Sadly, I barely found any info on her mom. I believe that she was a homemaker. Yasmin had one older brother and two younger sisters. So I would say mom had her hands full with responsibilities. I'll say four kids is a lot. Yeah. Also, we should note that this is before the partition of India, which we've mentioned on the show before. So we're talking about Pakistan, but at the time Yasmin is born, it was still part of quote-unquote, British India until 1947. Ooh, yeah. Okay, I was wondering about that, too, because we've mentioned it, like you Mm -hmm. said, before the partition of India and Pakistan. I also wonder if her mom had to help Zafarul, perhaps, like in the whining and dining with all the fellow civil service people, you know, like the networking and all of those things. Yeah, what does the civil service officer do? From what I understood, they were government officials and they were responsible for overseeing government activities. So they had different roles Mm. depending on their post. Mm. Okay. So fun fact, one of Yasmin's sisters, Nazreen Jalil, grew up to be a Pakistani politician. Oh, cool. We know Narjiti loves a politician. Mm -hmm. Sure do. Mm -hmm. When Yasmin was a little kid, Her dad worked on major development projects in Lahore and other cities. This was how Yasmin started learning about architecture. Oh, cool. I think that's kind of cute. Yasmin's parents highly valued education. They enrolled their kids in the best schools in the country. Queen Mary's School, Adabistan e Sufia, Kinnaird College in Lahore, like super Fancy-sounding places. Indeed. At some point, probably around her early teenage years, she met a boy in Lahore. 
about five years her senior, named Suhail Sahir. This guy sounds like an artist to me. Oh, well, I'm intrigued to know where Suhail plays into this story. Mm-hmm. In a way, he was an artist. He was a good photographer, and he wanted to study philosophy. Actually, eventually, in the future, he graduated from St. Catherine's College at the University of Oxford with a degree in politics, philosophy, and economics. But I'm getting ahead of myself at this point in the story that has not happened. So let's fast forward a little. Yasmin is now 15, getting to know Mr. Suhail Sahir, getting friendly. And one day, her family goes on vacation to London, you know, as families do. Or so she thought. Because in a surprise turn of events, they ended up enrolling in a school there. Oh, How sad. What's going to happen with her young love? Wait, so they just like enrolled her in a school in London without her knowing? Yeah. Apparently, it was a surprise to the kids when it happened. Around this time, the dad got a new post within the ICS, which gave the family as a whole more travel opportunities and a chance to be educated in London which the parents thought would be a better education in the long run. Mm, I see. Okay, so then what happens? Mm-hmm. So, Yasmin is in England. Suhail Sahir is in Pakistan. But remember, he had goals. He wanted to further his education. Right. And he wanted to keep getting to know Yasmin. Mm. So, mm. Yasmin and Suhail started corresponding through snail mail. Because they didn't have emails mm. or WhatsApp, you know. <laughs> Right. And all the while, Suhail was also writing to a philosopher that he admired, Isaiah Berlin, who was a famous British thinker. Suhail was like, hey, I like Tolstoy. You like Tolstoy. I want to meet you and study in Oxford. What do you say? (laughs) I'm sure that's exactly how that went down. Uh, but very cute. I love the letters being sent back and forth. Mm-hmm, same. And, you know, I'm not too good at geography, but I'm assuming <laughs> Oxford is closer to London than it is to Pakistan. <laughs> yeah. So I believe in them and their long distance, which soon hopefully becomes short distance love. So, hey. <laughs> yeah. So Hale did honestly write a compelling letter to Isaiah. So much so that Isaiah helped him get into St. Catherine's College at the University of Oxford. And now he was in the same country as Yasmin again. Suhail is a go-getter. He knows what he wants. Oxford and Mm -hmm. Yasmin. Mm -hmm. And he kills two birds with one stone. You know? (laughs) Mm -hmm. Yasmin was (laughs) falling in love. But she had career goals too. When it came time to go to college, Yasmin was like, I'm going to be an architect. And college was, "Mm, no, you're not. So Mm, uh. what happened was (laughs) she went for an interview and they asked her, do you draw? And she said, "Mm, no. And they said, well, you better spend some time at an art school and learn. And just like that, she was rejected from architecture school. Whoa. Mm. I mean, okay, I know that like, We had to submit portfolios to get into architecture school. And correct me if I'm wrong, but this sounds like the first lady that we've heard of being rejected for that reason. 
Mm-hmm. Are we just assuming that everyone already knew how to draw? Like, who went previously? You know what I mean? I guess. Yeah. But to me, it's like, what's the point of knowing if they're going to teach you anyway? Like, you get what yeah. I'm saying? Like, they're going to teach you how to draw. So, what, like, I don't know. Like, we can go on a whole discussion about portfolios and knowing what to know before architecture school. That could be a whole, yeah. Because in some ways, I understand why you want to have a portfolio to see that someone has, like, artistic thinking or spatial, you know. Yeah. But, yeah, but I also agree. They're going to teach you stuff, so. <laughs> yeah. So, anyway, the good news is, is that we know that she's going to make it. She's going to do what she got to do, because if not, this would be a shorter episode, and Norgidi would have nothing to worry about regarding, like, time and stuff. But <laughs> we can keep going. Yeah, yeah. You know, Yasmin was smart. So she took the school's advice, studied two years of arts, and then she applied and was accepted to the Oxford Polytechnic, though today it's known as the Oxford Brooks College School of Architecture. Oh, so now they're both at Oxford. She's closing the gap with Suhail. Yeah. Closer I get to you. It's a song, but I'm not going to sing it. <laughs> um, I'm starting to feel like this is more of a love story than an architecture story, and I'm loving every minute of it. <laughs> I didn't make it that way, right? <laughs> well, I love yeah. It. I love it. But when I read that part of her story that I mentioned her college entrance journey, it made me think that she would have been a good fit for my birthday charrette this year. Listeners, check out Norgetti's birthday 2023 charrette episode for a few stories on perseverance. Very true. Mm. Shameless plug. I love her persistence. Okay. <laughs> Going back to Yasmin and Suhail in the same city, y'all. Woo! <laughs> what I didn't tell you was that while Yasmin was studying art in London, she and Suhail decided they were gonna get married. And oh. Their family said, that ain't going to happen, y'all. Oh. <laughs> Not until you finish college. <laughs> Sounds reasonable, right? I mean, yeah, sure. Enjoy mm-hmm. college, focus on that, and then tie the knot. Yeah. Mm-hmm. No, not Yasmin and Suhail. Oh. They kindly <laughs> informed their families that they were going to elope. And with that piece of info, the family said, okay, okay, let's arrange your marriage. Finally, Yasmin and Suhail Sahir... Lottie were married in 1962. That's right. Suhail's last name is not Sahir. It's Lottie. I kept that secret until now so that I could keep some sort of intrigue. (laughs) (laughs) Sahir was his second name, I guess. That was confusing. (laughs) I did think his last name was Sahir. (laughs) For sure. Mm -hmm. Uh, But also, okay, Yasmin with the persistence... They're both go-getters. Mm-hmm. So, congratulations to the happy couple. Yay! Yes, congrats. It's also just like a really cute story. You know, like, they see it, they want it, they gonna get it one way or another. Yeah, it's really cute. A year after getting married, Yasmin had her first daughter. And a year after that, she graduated from architecture school in 1964. After college, she and her young, growing family moved back to Pakistan. She had a kid during architecture school? Wow. I am very impressed. That sounds really tough. I couldn't imagine being pregnant during architecture school, being in my, like, mid 
to level teenage years during like architecture school, much less caring for a baby. Like it's impressive. Yeah. I mean, all that sounds insane to me, but it has been done. It can be done. Yeah. You know, just not by me. (laughs) Think about it. Yeah. Yeah. This lady was 23 Mm -hmm. and she was married, had a daughter, had a college degree. What's next, do you ask? Why? Starting an architecture firm, that's what. Obviously. <laughs> she started her own firm, Lari Associates, and just like that, she became the first woman architect in Pakistan. Yay, Yasmin! Double capital W. Wow. Like, that's <laughs> amazing. That's right. As it happens with all our pioneers, she had her share of friction. It was not easy. Workers at construction sites didn't trust her knowledge or give her the respect or authority that she deserved because she was a woman. And as it happens with all our pioneers, she proved them all wrong with her great work until they had to cut the nonsense and work with her. That's right. You tell them, Yasmin. But so sad that she had to endure those things and work twice as hard to be taken seriously. Yeah, but it happens. I know. One of her first projects was a house for her brother. Through her career, she had a lot of iconic projects in many different project types. But she learned an aspect of her job that she truly enjoyed was researching and learning about how people live and inhabit space. I feel like that's a given with a lot of architects. And I mean, I know I can relate to that. A hundred percent. That's one of my favorite parts of residential architecture, like working in that field, because you have to make a space work for how that client lives, you know? Yeah, agreed. It's one thing to design something that's pretty or something that's cool or something that's pretty cool. But the best is when we go into the detail of how this pretty thing actually works. Right. And I'll tell you soon how that passion of hers developed for research. But before that, I'll tell you that in 1969, the Royal Institute of British Architects elected Yasmin to join their crew. So she became a member. She'd only been in the game for six years and already she's getting recognized. She belongs in a 30 under 30 list at this point. Yeah, that's amazing that she was already elected to that group after only six years. Wild. Yeah. I feel like in most cases, it would have been hard for her to even be asked to join. So an invite outright, it's just a testament to the work that she was doing. Hey, designers and curious minds. Ever wondered about the stories hiding within your building's walls? I'm Carrie Seaburn, structural engineer and host of Unstruct, the podcast that decodes and simplifies major concepts of structural design. Behind the math and physics, structural engineering simply predicts building behavior. Join me as we simplify the complex, making structural design accessible to everyone. Nowadays, instead of measuring it via cost, we're saying, well, what about carbon, you know? We've got two levers now that we can, if if an architect has an inefficient design, we can hit them with two levers if you like. The official casualty figure is 55,000. Everybody I talked to told me that the actual figure is at least three times as much. And I believe that. I mean, seeing what I saw, Turkish codes are good and, and they have been improving. 
but compliance was completely lacking. Fluent in steel, concrete, masonry, and timber design, I'll bring you leading engineers to dissect the tales behind their building structure. Whether you're an architect, contractor, engineer, or just love a good story, this podcast is for you. Yeah, beam penetrations. That's a fun topic on this project. Follow the link in the show notes to subscribe to Unstruct. From within your walls, hear the story behind how your building stands today. Turn your architectural designs into stunning, immersive experiences with Enscape. This innovative tool integrates seamlessly with your design software to bring your ideas to life in real-time 3D and VR. With Enscape, you will experience instant rendering, have the ability to make design changes on the fly, and present your projects in stunning detail. Ideal for architects, designers, and anyone passionate about visual storytelling in architecture. Dive into a new era of design visualization with Enscape. Visit Enscape3D.com to learn more. As her career was taking off, she started getting really big projects in many sectors. A big one in housing is the Anguribag Housing, or ABH, complex, completed in 1978. Let's stop right here. Let's talk about this one. So here, she got to put that passion for research that I was telling you about into action. She started developing ABH in 1973. It was the first large-scale public housing project in Pakistan. It ended up having more than 780 housing units for low-income families across various buildings that form clusters of units making single, two, and three-story blocks. It's very dynamic in plan and section and elevation, which has been known to improve people's quality of life. That sounds really Mm. amazing. It's so cool that she was the first to spearhead a project like this, but... It sounds right up her alley with like looking at how people interact with spaces as well. Yeah, I like this. She needs to talk to our government and like (laughs) see, because it's a hot topic. Sure. She seems to have done a really good job. Mm -hmm. Yasmin's firm studied the regular way of life of the local community, their patterns, their pressure points, how they gathered, and among a thousand other things in order to inform the design. For example, Many women of the community discussed with her how they needed spaces to grow their food. So the final design was a multi-building, multi-level complex with balconies open to the sky at each floor for dwellers to grow vegetables and have chickens. I love this. This also reminds me of Rivati, episode 56. Yeah. And some of our other ladies like Jacobo episode 76, Um, you know, just real community-based design that actually helps the community, you know? Yes. I love seeing these community-informed designs, and it definitely reminds me of those two ladies as well. In the hospitality sector, a famous one is the Taj Mahal Hotel in Karachi, built in 1981. If you're like me and you're into commercial projects, check out the Finance and Trade Center in Lahore, completed in 1989. 
to me, it has brutalist vibes, which I'm very into. Multi-story and massive on purpose, meant to reflect Pakistan's economic growth at the time. It was designed in collaboration with Hungarian-Canadian architect Eva Vekshay, who would fit this season perfectly if we needed another architect. Oh, hey. I like this Chica and Chica partner collaboration, too. And I'm digging the Brutalist vibes, too. Yes. Love a female collab. Mm -hmm. Like I was saying, this building had a contemporary appearance, but Yasmin and Ava also incorporated passive cooling and ventilation methods by placing connecting courtyards through the space to circulate the air, as had been done in traditional buildings of the area. You know, Yasmin, be keeping in mind sustainable principles. That's all. We love it. (laughs) There is a history of why courtyards were incorporated in design across different architecture typologies and cultures. So I like this mixture of old and new. No need to fix what's not broken. Absolutely. That's true. Y'all, Yasmin also has some good government projects, like the headquarters of the Pakistan State Oil House, done in 1991 in Karachi, Mm -mm. when the largest oil company in Pakistan at the time needed a landmark, they turned to, that's right, Yasmin, to deliver. And boy, did she deliver. She gave them a symmetrical design of two tall granite and glass towers joined by a five-story tall reflective glass atrium for more than 548, 959 square feet, a.k.a. 12 acres. I mean, this is huge. Whoa. Of offices. This is all offices placed throughout 10 stories connected by the atrium and panoramic elevators, which was all super modern and contemporary at that time. Okay, that does sound cool and huge. I just got stuck on the title, like, Pakistan State Oil House. Like, it just sounds impressive to me. Like, just the name. Like, <laughs> Yeah, wow. Like, I'm, I'm sort of still processing all of those numbers. <laughs> but it looks very modern. Um, and it looks like a really, in- I'm sure for that time, it was like a super contemporary, um, interesting project, right? Mm-hmm. Yeah. There's one more project I want to mention. Jessica. I think you'd really like this one. Okay. In 1982, Yasmin got to live probably most every architect's dream, and she designed her own home. The Lati residence has even more of a brutalist sculpture vibe than the project I mentioned earlier. Oh. The Mm. exterior is exposed concrete with these amazing cantilevers that feel like the floor goes on forever. (laughs) There, she housed not just her bed and a space for her family to live, but also a studio used by her and her husband for their research and documentation of local heritage, and also a huge collection of books, newspapers, magazines, photographs, drawings, all part of their preservation efforts. Okay. Okay, so before knowing that it was her house, I did see the pictures of this project, and I loved it. It has all of my favorite things. Concrete, cantilevers, and a studio. And yes, who wouldn't want to design their own house? (laughs) 
amazing. Yeah. I mean, the house looks amazing. It's really cool with all of the cantilevers. It's giving me falling water vibes. Same. I thought mm-hmm. the same mm-hmm. when I saw it. Yeah. Mm-hmm. While yeah. all these projects are going on, the Yasmin and Suhail Sahir Lari power couple <laughs> found time to start a humanitarian group in 1980. See, Suhail, with his politics, philosophy, and economics degrees, joined the corporate world. But eventually, he was the managing director of the Kyber Insurance Company for more than two decades. But his true passion, just like his wife, was research and preservation. Some people have passions and they need to channel that. You know, like starting a podcast. <laughs> Here at Shebel's Podcast, we get that. Mm-hmm. But other people, like the Lotties, start a full-blown, legit foundation that they call the Heritage Foundation of Pakistan, which, by the way, is still going strong to this day. Nice. This is like their hobby, y'all. <laughs> Just a casual side project. <laughs> their hobby. You know. Yeah. <laughs> it's always good to hear that, you know, things like this or something that you've created is still running. And also, okay, so I did a quick Google search on the firm or the foundation. Check this out. It's a quote from their mission statement. Quote, to document and conserve the traditional and historic built environment of Pakistan, create an awareness of Pakistan's rich and diverse historic architecture and art, and to promote cultural heritage for social integration, peace, and development. Love this mission. Yeah, it's great. Also, Nurjidi, maybe in like 2060 or something, there will be a She Builds Podcast Foundation out there. You know, name still TBD. But who knows? Oh. Maybe it's part of our <laughs> retirement plan or something. <laughs> that sounds nice. Hopefully sooner. That's so awesome, though, that the foundation is still going. And I love their mission statement to try and promote Pakistani architecture. It reminds me of episode 17, Minette Da Silva and regional modernism. I really appreciate that both Yasmin and Suhail are trying to promote culturally relevant architecture in Pakistan. Mm-hmm. Yes. The Heritage Foundation started by focusing their efforts on the city of Karachi, where the Ladis lived. They researched, gathered data, evidence, and support to save historical spaces of that city that were in disarray. Wow. They cataloged and shared their findings for almost 600 structures in the city. This led them to push for legislation to make protecting these places a law. Thanks to them, Mm. the Sindh Cultural Heritage Preservation Act was passed in 1994. Through this legislation, the Heritage Foundation was able to protect a huge number of heritage sites. Amazing. Making laws happen to preserve historic architecture, that's a big deal. Yes, I love it. Really creating change. Yasmin and Suhail didn't keep all their research locked up. They wanted people to know the richness of the city. So, through the 90s and early 2000s, they published many books. To name a few, I'll mention Traditional Architecture of Tata, published in 1993, The Dual City, Karachi, during the Raj, which she wrote with her son, Mikhail Lari, in 1997. That one is a major mm. reference book for anyone interested in history, architecture, and urbanism. Mm. Another good one is Karachi Illustrated City Guide in 2001. The photography there is by Suhail Sahir. And the last one that I'll mention is Lahore Illustrated City Guide, published in 2003. 
Thanks to all this legislation, preservation projects, and all the books, people grew awareness of the great importance of preservation. That's so impressive that they wrote so many books. But I'm glad they're making all of this research and information public and easily accessible so that other people can learn from it. Hence why, at the top of the episode, Norgeri felt conflicted with wanting to share everything. Just like Jasmine. Honestly. <laughs> but the more you know, the better. Mm-hmm. Oh, I didn't mention this before, but Yasmin had two more kids after her daughter. So she has a daughter and she has two sons. So nice. Way to go, Yasmin, being a mother and doing all of these things. Yeah, just casually saving the world and popping out babies. Also, you did mention that one of her sons, she wrote a book with, too. So that's cute. Right. Yeah. Just dropped it in there. Mm-hmm. In the year 2000, <laughs> she celebrated surviving Y2K by retiring from architecture practice. The end. <laughs> I don't believe that for a second. <laughs> you know, also surviving Y2K. <laughs> yeah. What's funny is, is that Y2K, you know, that was a joke. Just like her retirement plan, probably. Like, it's not like <laughs> she ain't going to be playing big, though, is what we're saying, right? <laughs> Yeah, right. As if, like, when do (laughs) any of our ladies retire? Nope, nope. Seriously, she didn't retire so much that this is a good time for me to admit that I couldn't help myself and totally spent hours researching and now I have way too much to condense and it ain't gonna happen in one episode. She didn't retire Mm. so much that I'll write a whole episode on what she's doing in her retirement, and spoiler alert, is not playing bingo. Wait, what? Yeah. (laughs) She did enough in retirement for an entire episode? (laughs) Yasmin is putting us all to shame. (laughs) She really is. (laughs) I just, I can't even. I also can't wait, though, to hear more about what she did in her second act. But (laughs) I'm so, it's so hilarious that you were, like, worried about it being longer than 45 minutes, and instead, it's a two-parter. I'm okay with that. Yeah. Yeah. Sure. No, what you're telling us is that we're going to have to wait to learn more about her life during retirement. And she's still kicking. So we we could have two 45-minute episodes in our hands. That's true. This is still another 23 years of time. Yeah, because she she does so much. Yeah. Is doing so much. She's doing so much. Well, yeah, yeah, you're going to have to wait a whole seven more days. But I promise it will be worth it. All right. Now we have reached the second half of our episode, the karyotid. A karyotid is a stone carving of a woman used as a column or a pillar to support the structure of a Greek or Greek-style building. In each episode, we choose a karyotid, a woman who is working today, furthering the profession through their work, and who ties into the historical woman of our episode. So, drum roll, please. <laughs> Ileana Vives Luque. Ileana Vives Luque is an architect and preservation activist from Costa Rica. She graduated from the Universidad de Costa Rica, or UCR. She is super special because she's a listener suggestion. Osman H. recommended her for this episode because she was his professor in architecture history class. 
he remembers that she was a walking library. She would tell mm-hmm. students exactly on which page of which book they should look up a specific architecture source material. Whoa. She was one of his favorite professors because of how passionate she was about architecture history and the patrimony of Costa Rica. Lovely. It's always great to have a listener suggestion. So shout out to all of our Costa Rican listeners because we know you are out there. Pura vida! Marjorie, tell us more about it. Yes, pura vida! I wanted to highlight Ileana today because she strives to preserve the architectural history of her country. I have a book at home named History of the Architecture in Costa Rica, and I found that she is a contributing writer. Mm-hmm. This book is the culmination of a project that began in 1995. Ileana, alongside her colleagues, conducted research for two years and from 1997 to 1998, ran a traveling exposition of Costa Rican architecture from pre-Columbian era to modernity. The book was published in 1998. Wow, that's so cool. I love that she worked to highlight the architecture of her home country, just like Yasmin. Mm-hmm. She has served as director of the Center of Investigation and Conservation of the Cultural Patrimony in Costa Rica. In 2013, she led an effort named Let's Save Our Architecture History Patrimony, which was an open call to the public to suggest spaces which should be restored as necessary and protected as part of Costa Rica's architectural legacy. She's like the Costa Rican version of Jasmine. Yeah. Like, pretty much. You know? <laughs> um, but in all seriousness, though, the work that both of these ladies do is so important. It's one thing to want to tell untold stories about women and to highlight women's work, you know, hashtag Shebo's podcast, uh, and like what they do and blah, blah, blah. But to preserve the actual architecture of a country and honor their legacy, like, that is beyond important. Like, we need more people like Ileana, Jasmine, and Sahel. That's amazing. Completely agree. I love that we're able to highlight both of these ladies and their amazing work in both of their countries. Yes. Mm-hmm. Love it. Well, before we say, Huda Hafiz, we want to say Shukriya to CMYK for the music, John W., our technical producer, and Shukriya to all of you for listening. We also want to give a special shout out, my goodness, to everyone out there ever sharing all the information that you share on Yasmin. Like, (laughs) so, it is so much. It is so much. Enough for a two-parter. Listeners, remember to check out our show notes for links to all of our resources on this episode, as well as pictures of the projects that we've talked about. We hope you enjoyed learning about Yasmin and Ileana along with our banter and that you are inspired to find out more about them and other amazing professional ladies. Again, shukriya. She Builds Podcast is a member of the Gable Media Podcast Network. Gable Media is curated thought leadership for an audience dedicated to building a better world. Listen and subscribe to all the shows at GableMedia.com. That's G-A-B-L media.com. Please let us know what you thought of our episode. If you've enjoyed it, please help us spread the word. Tell your friends, your preservationists, your secret loves. Tell them all. Give us five stars on iTunes and Spotify and write us a review. This will help us reach a wider audience and for people to learn more about these amazing ladies with us. We are excited to hear from you and for you to come back and keep learning about 
process with us. You can email us your thoughts at shebillspodcast at gmail.com, leave a comment on our website, shebillspodcast.com, or follow us on Instagram and Facebook at shebillspodcast and on X at shebillspod. Bye. See ya. I, sorry. (laughs) I keep reading the script and thinking like, what? I don't even like know how to intonate, you know? (laughs) And figuring it out too late. (laughs) Yeah. (laughs) Sorry. Lottie. I've mentioned it to my family, but in terms of telling people like, oh yeah, we're doing this, I'm looking for projects. You got anything? I'm not there yet because it scares the out of me. Dreaming of launching your own architecture firm? Well, we'll buckle up for a wild ride with Emerging, the podcast that shares what it's really like to start an architecture firm. Where do we begin? We don't even know what type of business to formalize as. Is it an LLC? Is it an LLP? Like how are taxes? I mean, the list is astronomical. Season one featured founders, Jeffrey, Lexi, and Chris, owners of Level Studio Architecture, are your fearless guides on this unfiltered journey from napkin sketches to a thriving studio. One evening, stumbled into one last dive, we sat at the bar and pondered our postgraduate futures. Amidst the conversation, a napkin became the canvas for our aspirations, sketching plans and milestones, sealing our heartfelt commitment and shared dreams. In drawing down dreams on a napkin collectively, that, (laughs) then, you know, in your head, you've rooted like, oh, I'm connected to these people, like long-term. The process of starting an architecture practice brims with excitement and challenges, demanding meticulous planning, flawless execution, and unyielding resilience. I kind of hate the term because it's so overly used, but I think everybody knows imposter syndrome. And I think it's it's so real to this day. I, I, I don't know if it's with everybody, but with me, I'm always questioning like us, can we do this? Are we ready to do this? Are we prepared? Can we do it? Did we just decide a name? <laughs> we did it, guys. Oh my One that God. came out of nowhere. Woo! It came out of nowhere. I liked it. I saw it. Ready to turn your aspirations into reality? Follow the link in the show notes to subscribe to Emerging and chart your own path to architectural success.